So I was born and raised in Brooklyn, um, born in 1980 um, to a Palestinian immigrant family who came here from the occupied territories in Palestine. And I grew up with four sisters um, and two brothers, and I was the oldest and got to be kind of a leader even at a young age as my mom tried to do the normal things that moms do. Like when I was the oldest of seven, that was when I was 10 years old. So at the age of 10, I was already the oldest of seven children. So being a 10-year-old with six siblings who were younger than you was a big responsibility, but it was beautiful living in a household with all those wonderful, crazy, loud kids that were my brothers and sisters. Do you feel in some ways like a pseudo mom or like a second mom to some of your your younger siblings? I was their second mom. Um, I actually, my mom would leave me home at the age of 11, 12 because she just couldn't take seven kids to the supermarket. And I had to be overly responsible and just thinking the magnitude of what a 10-year-old or 11-year-old can do with seven kids all younger than me. But somehow I figured it out and I I almost felt like happy because my mom was like, you're the second mom when I'm not here. They have to listen to you. You got the power. And that was so amazing. And just, you know, my mom fueled that in me that I was always like the boss when my mom wasn't there. And my sisters and brothers knew that I was the boss when my mom wasn't home. (laughs) Do you feel like that prepared you for where you ended up sort of professionally in your life? Absolutely. I mean... (laughs) Even the way I, like in my nonprofit organization that I'm with, even in the organizing world that I'm in, I always feel like the mom in the room. I'm either trying to take care of people or I'm bossing people around. And I think those are the two traits that I took from my experience growing up and being like the second mom to six younger siblings. And even now as an adult, like my sisters, one lives in New Orleans, one lives in North Carolina. And even though I'm farther away from them and they're moms now themselves, I still feel like I'm kind of like giving advice. I'm still being like a mom. Have you visited Palestine then since you were raised here in the U.S.? My parents um, were very cognizant of being Palestinian, or at least are their children having a lineage to like an oppressed people living under military occupation and making sure that we understood what that meant for us as um, kind of first generation Palestinian Americans. So my parents um, saved every dollar that they had every year. Sometimes we'd skip a year depending on the finances, but Almost every other year, we went to Palestine for the summer, and my parents thought we needed to do that for two reasons. One was to continue to speak colloquial Palestinian dialect and to continue to learn our culture and be connected to our family and our grandparents and our cousins that still lived in Palestine. And the second reason was my parents wanted us to witness what it meant for uh, our people to live under military occupation and for us not to take for granted what we have. So to this day, when you go visit, are there places that you go to every single time? Are there sort of moments that you look forward to every time you go back? So being in Palestine is a really bittersweet. Um, There are one place I have to go when I go is to Jerusalem and to go to like the Dome of Rock. And it's a really holy and spiritual place. And while I have the privilege, it's another place where I have to recognize my privilege that as a person who has an American passport, who doesn't carry Palestinian citizenship, I can just stroll up there 1,500 miles away, walk in, pray, but I only can go as an American and my family who lives there can't go with me. And the most moving thing is I just went to Palestine last summer and I took my kids with me. And, you know, look, we pay like $1,800 a ticket to go. It's really expensive. And my daughters, they were like, hold on. You mean we're going to go to Jerusalem together and our cousins can't go with us? And I was like, yeah, it's kind of complicated, but they don't have certain travel documents. And my little 13-year-old and 10-year-old daughter are like, what? They're like, we're not going. That is not fair. How can we go and we're coming from somewhere so far away and they live here and they can't go? And my daughter took an act of solidarity when I paid $1,800 for them to go there and they were like, we're not going. 
And as I was in there and I went to the Dome of Rock and we prayed and we were sitting down like chatting inside a very beautiful mosque, like I just started crying. Like it was really emotional to be like my daughters, not that they had more sense than me, but they had this like vigor that I didn't have at that moment because I didn't want to miss on this opportunity where they were like, no, we're not going. And their cousins were kind of like, no, you probably should go. And they were like, no, if you can't go, we can't go. And I, it's a moment like that will stay with me forever because my daughters ended up not going to Jerusalem. It's not a chance that everybody gets. There's this like inescapable politicization of your religious identity. But I wonder if you could talk about like your personal relationship to Islam and what does your relationship look like to you? So I grew up in a very secular family. My parents were never really that religious. My parents were much more rooted in this nationalist, like you're Palestinian, this is all that matters. Like Palestine lives only through you and the next generations. And I had all this pressure. Like I was almost like feeling like I was a walking Palestinian state because that's why my parents like instilled in me and my brothers and sisters. And Islam came to me more strongly, I would say. I wore my hijab, which is my head covering in 2000. For me, it was more so the identity piece of it than the actual religious piece of it. I grew up in a community where no one really knew who I was. It was always a guessing game. I was either Puerto Rican, could also have been Italian, I could have also been Russian. I could be so many other things, but not who I was. And I think the hijab gave me this opportunity to be able to present an identity to the world that no one can deny me, which is being Muslim. It's like when you see me in the street, you might not know I'm Palestinian, but you definitely know I'm Muslim. And then from there, organizing post 9-11, I started being in a larger Muslim community. And then I was like, wow, there are black Muslims and South Asian Muslims and Southeast Asian and Arab. And I just, this whole new world was open up to me. And then I felt like I was part of something even much larger than myself and this like Palestinian identity that I carried. And for me, Islam, I realized like 2006, it was like a revelation to me that Islam is actually why I do the work that I do, because my faith tells me to do that work, that I'm supposed to be a social justice agent, that I'm supposed to work uh, against oppression of all people. And I started reading about Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, and I was like, wow, like I, if every Muslim in the world just follow this man's like path, we would be just a wonderful, strong social justice community. Um, so Islam inspires me to do social justice work. I'm most proud of my children, and I'm also proudest of um, where I've gotten my family politically in being immigrants who came here from Palestine who thought that there was only one struggle in the world, and it was the Palestinian struggle, and it's only because they didn't have access to information outside of Palestine. And when they came here, they got dropped in a Palestinian community, which kept them still isolated. And through my work and through the people that I bought to break bread with them and for them to understand that they are part of a larger, you know, pluralistic society that also has other oppression that they need to be connected to. And in hearing my parents like debate family members, most recently on Ferguson, I, I'm in the dining room and I hear my dad talking to my uncle and my uncle's like, oh, but didn't he like, didn't he like shoplift or whatever? And my dad was like, what? So what if he shoplifted? Does that mean that, that he had to die? He's like, is that reason? He's saying this in Arabic, by the way. And I'm in like the dining room and I'm like, you go, dad, you tell him. And I felt like if it wasn't for the work that I did and the people that I've introduced my father to, I don't think my father would have took that conversation. There are many other conversations on immigration. Like people will say, well, you came here legally. You know, you petitioned for your wife to come here. And these people come here illegally. Having my parents saying, no, these people deserve to be respected. They're hardworking people. And I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. So I feel like I'm very proud of 
um, getting my family from a place of being so isolated and understanding that they now live in New York City and they have to be connected to other people. It's just, those are like my little proud, proudest little moments. And it's just really, it's really adorable too, on top of it being awesome.